Hey everyone, this is Augustus Cho. Welcome to part two of our previous episode. You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. psychology of the opening band what do you guys think when you when when a uh, act invites you to say we open for us what goes through the opening band's mind well it, you know most people would say well we want to be real good and we don't want to overdo the the headliner um basically you're only the people are there 99 of the time they don't care about you as the opening band they're there there to see the headliner um so you're basically just warming them up, kind of getting them in the mood, playing them a little bit of uh, uh, music to, you know, like I say, get them ready for the, the headliner coming on. But the bottom line is it's a chance for you to make a mark for yourself. And um, this is something you can't overlook because next time you might be the headliner, you know, um, and you know, we play a lot of beach festivals with four, five, six beach bands, uh, shag type bands, and you never know where you're going to be in that lineup. You might be the first band, you might be the third, according to where you are, you might be the last band. And if you're the last band, you better be able to act like you're the headliner. You know, um, according to uh, what the other band might have another job booked and doing two in that day. So they may have the band that's really the best band might be playing second or third and they've got to leave because they have to travel to get to their job. They're going to play that night. So it's all, um, it's all, you know, germane to what, what each of you are doing and where you have to be. But, um, it's really no different. Your bottom line is from the first note you hit to the last note you hit, you should be trying to entertain because the people have a myriad of other things they could do. Um, so you want to, you want to make sure they appreciate that they're, they're doing what they want to do and it's, and it's involving you, you know, so that's kind of how you try to look at it. If you're, uh, opening band or the headliner, it, it doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, you want them to appreciate being there. You want to give them something to appreciate and, uh, you don't want them second guessing, well, God, I could have had more fun if I'd have gone to the basketball game or something. You want them to you know, think back on it and go, man, that was such a great time when we went and saw whoever, you know, uh, main event and the caves and, you know, whoever is playing on that show, you want them to remember that you were there. So you can't just give it up and let the headliner have it all. But by the same means, um, you know, that headliner has to always step up and be more than what all the opening bands are. Okay. So it's a sensitive balancing act, but I don't know, from, sure. from my perspective, opening band that they hire you know they hire them to do their best right opening band sure, right exactly because exactly. that's what you want so the burden is up up to the other band to hey you're the main liner so you do your best you know and that's okay. leave it at that instead of you know trying yeah. to repress the opening act right exactly it's, it's always um you you're always going to go over better when you try your hardest yeah i mean there's no reason not to 
put all the effort into it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's, that's where the payoff comes. You know, you've got to, you've got to put all your effort in or you're not going to be good enough. Uh, but one thing my dad told me when I was young, um, we were playing baseball and one day I bragged a little bit about something and he yanked me right out of the game. You know, he had the coach yank me out and uh, I came over to the fence and he really got on me and he said, don't you ever brag. You, you need to be humble. If you're good, you don't have to tell people you're good. They'll tell you you're good. And that is really, I, I've, I've always kind of lived by that. And it stuck with me my whole life. And I, I really feel like that's a hundred percent truth. You know, oh. it's, yeah. I, I, uh, we need more fathers like the fathers you had, the father you had. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously he watched growing up and the Griffith show. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, I still watch it. I still yeah, catch yeah. it a lot. You know? Yeah, you know, I mean, you live in South Carolina. I live in North Carolina. You went to uh, South Carolina. I went to North Carolina for college. So, we, you know, we have a kind of a mutual experience, and we have similar appreciation for what America was. We're similar age, and we grew up with Andrew Griffith, Brady Bunch, Cartridge Family, oh, yeah. Love American Style, uh, you know, like my favorite Martian, Mr. Ed, that oh, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And back yeah. then, all those shows, when you watched it, they had a point for you to learn. Sure. You know, especially sure. uh, Andy Griffith show and, and with the Sheriff Taylor, you know. I feel like when you watch TV today, none of that exists. In fact, when you watch it, as a result, you end up becoming worse as a, a citizen instead of becoming better. Yeah, that's that's true in a lot of cases. Um, it, it's, it's just gotten to be that way, and I don't think there's anything we can really do about it. The only thing we can do is try to be more of a positive influence when we can. If there's somebody that, you know, my nieces and nephews, when they were young, um, you know, they they didn't have Andy Griffith, but they had their dad and they had good, you know, uh, parenting around them and all. And, and it paid off for them. And uh, they're really good kids. I say kids, they're in their late 20s and early 30s now, but um uh, they're still kids to me because that's how I've always looked at them, you know, Absolutely. and uh, just really good, really good kids. Absolutely. Uh, I try to watch Andrew Griffith's show one episode a day so I can be reminded yeah. of what America used to be. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now um, you were with main event. Well, let me, let me finish up with the uh, opening act. Um, when the Rolling Stones came to Raleigh, the opening act was the Embers. <laughs> the Embers oh, yeah. sounded so good. Yeah. Afterwards, when they came, when the Stones came to the back, they were not very friendly to the uh, Embers because oh yeah, they actually sounded better than the uh, Stones because at that point in the early '60s, evidently the Rolling Stones still sounded rough, you know. But by then, Embers was you know they 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 had it all smooth smoothed out, so it's kind of funny to hear that. But I always wonder what the psychology of the opening band uh, was was like. So I appreciate you explaining it. So after five years with the main event, which I still see their name periodically uh, during this, uh, the circuit, are they still that's in a, business? That's a, that's a similar story to the uh, Threshold story. Um, Ali Woodruff uh, had a band, and he called me up wanting to know if they could use the name Main Event. And um, we had a little bit of a problem with that name um, because, like, when you see it on a marquee, like, for instance, we used to play the Landmark. Uh, down at Myrtle Beach, the Coquina Club there a lot. Well, the marquee would say, today, pool party, main event, Coquina Club. You know, and main event didn't come across like the name of the band. It was just like another description of what was going on. 
So, um, you know, when Allie called me up, wanted to know if he could use that name, I told him that, that story. And uh, we had eventually, at the time when I left main event, they changed the name to the event. And um, that worked out a little better for them as far as the way it looked on the marquee and stuff like that. But it was hard to uh, get people to change because they knew us as main event. Right. So it was hard to get them to just change it, you know, to jump right in and change. But um, yeah, it's, it's, that's one of the hard things about naming a band. You want to have something memorable and something that's easy for people to remember, but you have to be careful about how it's going to actually be seen. You know, like I say on the marquee, it would say today, main event, pool party, coquina club. And, and they go, well, what's the main event? Right. You know, <laughs> and, you know, so, I mean, you know, it was a little bit of a uh, twist on it, but it worked out and it's working real good for uh, Allie Woodruff and the, and the people in his band. They, um, they, I think they mainly use main event band and it's um, working well, well for them. They, they made a real good name from it and uh, they're a really good band. Good guys too. Very and nice. Sharon, the lead singer is really good. They're all really good players and singers. Very nice of you to say that. And then from after five years with main event, you uh, went to the Fabulous Caves. What's the story yeah. behind Fabulous Caves from Charlotte? Well, okay. If I could back up just a touch, when I left Threshold, uh, I found out the Fabulous Caves were auditioning for trumpet players. So I drove up to Winston-Salem uh, one weekend and auditioned with them. And the day that I was there, I just knew that the audition didn't go that well. And, uh, <laughs> And they were calling in, uh, they were calling for a big snowstorm to come in. So it started snowing and I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go on. And they're like, man, don't, don't you want to stay and sit in with us tonight? And I was like, nah, man, I got to go. I got to get out of here before this storm hit. So I, I, I left and it was really unusual because every band I've been in, I've never lived in the town where the band is based out of. When I was in Columbia and I started playing with Threshold from Sumter. I ended up moving to Sumter, and then I left and started playing with Horizon, main event from Columbia. And then uh, uh, when I started with the K's, I was still living in Sumter, and they were based out of Charlotte. Um, the Fabulous K's, when they first started, they used the name The Occasion. Yes. And, uh, and uh, I think Bill Griffin up in Greensboro had put the band together and put the equipment together for them and everything, and they used that name. Well, one night, this was before I was with them, but – they were playing one night and uh, Wayne Pittman, who was the owner of the occasions, he came in and presented, served them with papers and said they needed to uh, change the name. So they went uh, in the dressing room on break and said, OK, we got to change our name. And they came out after the break and it changed the name to the Fabulous K's, which for history, the original name is the occasions was the K's. Uh, was, they was, named it after what, the guitar. Yeah, was Occasions the one that sang I'm a Girl Watcher? Yeah, yeah, yeah they okay. did Girl Watcher, yeah. Yeah, that was a big hit in America at that six Yeah, years. yeah, it was a big deal. And, uh, you know, and, I mean, of course, when Wheel Watcher, when Wheel of Fortune picked it up, it came uh, I'm a Wheel Watcher. <laughs> I'm sure Wayne Pittman was very happy because I'm sure he uh, financially reaped some rewards from that by having the oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> copyright on girl watcher so, uh, but wayne passed away a couple of years as well also a couple of years about a year ago i believe he passed away yeah so uh, why are you why are you with the, the fabulous case yeah yeah back to percy sledge a few times 
Yeah, we did. We, yeah. we backed Percy Sledge. Um, and he was a he was a character too, man. I mean, it was really cool that, like I say, I've I've been lucky that I've uh, been able to back some of the musicians that I have and open for the ones that we have. But uh, Percy was he was just a different character, you know. He he told us songs that he wanted us to learn for him, and uh, we got in there. It was the first time I backed him, I believe, was at a club in Goldsboro, North Carolina, called Mothers, and it was just like a little pool hall and. Um, he came in and, and we we uh, did the show that night. And as soon as it finished, he was like, "Let's go back to the hotel and have something to eat." And we're going like, "Man, they're closed. They, that restaurant closed a day's in." He said, "Oh no, they'll open up for us." So we got back <laughs> in there, and they opened up the restaurant for Percy. And uh, so we we got to spend about an hour, an hour and a half in there at about two o'clock in the morning. You know, in the restaurant at the, at the hotel that wouldn't even have been open. You know, is, so. is that called is that called a pull? It could be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Percy Lynch has a pull with that diner there. Yeah, he definitely had a pull. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just did. just for people that may uh, not remember Percy, but Percy Slays rings a bell in their head. He sang a song in 1966 called "When a Man Loves a Woman." Yeah, and that was did. a national yeah. hit. During 1966. Yeah. Yeah. He's had several hits, of course. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of the beach bands play a song called uh, Sick and Tired. Uh, It was redone by Boz Skaggs several years ago. And a lot of the bands picked it up. And it's been kind of a uh, semi-staple for some of the beach bands. But a lot of them don't realize that it was actually originally a Percy Sledge song. And um, that was one that, you know, he did all the way back then. And we, we, we uh no I'm I'm sorry I made a mistake that was Fats Domino I, I mixed him up but uh, yeah that was a Fats Domino song I believe but uh mm-hmm. it tears you up was the one that was a Percy Sledge song another Percy song but uh yeah, yeah it's really cool I mean I, I love all the history of it and I'm sorry I mixed yeah. that up on you there but no uh, problem <laughs> yeah yeah Percy was Percy was a character as well man it yeah he, really, he yeah he appeared to be one. <laughs> Yeah, it was good to get to do those with him, do those jobs, man. And when that song, When a Man Loves a Woman, came out in 1966, it was a good break for America because the Vietnam War was hot. And Lyndon Johnson was under a lot of pressure to send more troops to Vietnam. He was increasing army army presence there because of General Westmoreland's request. I mean, it was really, really rough time within American history, contemporary history, and when this song came out, when you were listening to it, you kind of forgot about that for a while because it was just right. basically about a man and a woman and his love for her. And that was very, very nice. And that's part of the power of music. You know, um, music can do that in a lot of ways and it, it can take us away from our troubles and, you know, it can bring us joy. And uh, that's what we all count on. I mean, oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's, why that comes so that's why I'm so thankful to get to do it because, you know, I, I know that it brings joy to other people, but it also brings joy to me. I, I love doing it. And, uh, you know, it's just how it is. It's, it's, I, I can't picture that I would have had any type of career doing anything other than music because it's, it's I, I won't say it's all I know, but it's my biggest enjoyment of uh, career and jobs that I've ever had. I understand. Know? And I'm glad you do it. I was talking to a band of Oz member one time, a couple of years back, and you know, yeah. and I told him how much I appreciated what they do. And he said, "Well, you know, to us, it's a gig, you know." Yeah. But I told him, "No, it's 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 really it may be a gig to you, but when you start playing that first note, it has much more bigger impact than just a gig. 
because yeah. it changes who we are. It makes us forget what kind of day we had, whether it was good or bad. It brings us back to whatever age we were when we first heard that song, and it brings us to now. That's right. That's right. There's a lot of songs. Um, when I hear songs, a lot of times I can nail it within a couple of years of when that song came out. And it's mainly because of the bands that I, that I was in when I learned that song. So I'll go, oh, yeah, I learned that when I was in Threshold. So it came out, and I remember who sang it in the band. So, you know, I'll go, like, oh, yeah, well, that's from 79. You know, and, yep, and exactly. And a lot of stuff is like that with music because uh, music has the ability to take you just to any point in time yes. where you had a memory of it. You know, yes. and um, that's, that's just another, just one more thing about it that I love because yes. it, it uh, a lot of people – you know, I never want to take it for granted that I'm a musician and I get to do this because a lot of people get up every morning at six o'clock and they're at work by eight o'clock and they work till five and then they come home and they may have an hour or two with their family and then they're back to bed and same thing happens tomorrow. And the music business is never like that. It's uh, different every day. You know, you're traveling somewhere different. It might take more time, might take less, but it's a different ride. You know, and um, it's part of part of it, too. You know, we're allowed because of the job we have. We're allowed to have some time when we get to that location. You usually have a little bit of time. You can do some sightseeing or something else you want to do. And that's that's how I've managed uh, through the years. I've visited a lot of like Civil War battlefields and museums and stuff because you get to a town and there's stuff there. Uh you just feel bad if you don't go experience it sometimes, you know, it's like, man, I was right there and I didn't even do it. You know, it's like, why didn't I do that? You know? So, uh, it's, it's part of it, you know, part of the music business goes hand in hand with traveling. See, that's the intellectual part of you. For me, I would look for that hole in the wall. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we do that too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. When I hear uh, starry, starry night by Don McLean, Brings me right back to 1971. Same thing oh, with yeah. Roberta Flack's song. Yeah. First time I yeah. saw your face. Oh, man, what a beautiful song. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. That, I mean, if you remember where you were when you hear something a lot of the first time, a lot of times you can nail down to just what it meant to you because you realize, man, that, that really stuck with me. It must have meant something, you know. Oh, yeah. so, um, <laughs> and that happens a lot. That happens a lot with any particular tune, you know, just. You, uh, you know, you hear it and you go like, oh, yeah, I remember we did that in main event. And Bobby sang it. He did a great job. Must have been around 83, 84. Yeah. yeah. And I was in Arlington, Virginia when I heard some of those songs. And when David yeah. and Red came in, oh, my goodness. Anyway, oh, let's yeah. move on, man. We've got to stop reminiscing. We'd be all day. Well, kind of like you that I, I really enjoy as a human being as well as his multi-talentedness. He's, he's also a great painter. Just, just Yeah. Oh, yeah. Excellent artist. He's a, he's amazing. He. He started doing that when I was in the band and it wasn't long before he had gotten really good at it. Yeah. Um, and he, that's a, uh, another, uh, love of his is painting. His, his art is really good and man, just really nice. Yeah. I love people like that that are so gifted yet so solidly uh, grounded to earth. You know, they don't have yeah. any chip on their, no superficial egos, no right. immaturity. Some of the people that I run into, but anyway, yeah, we'll move on. And we will be right back after this important message. Thinking of sun and waves on the sand. I'm walking along with my girl hand in 
And we're back. Now, when you were with the Fabulous Case, you also opened for Spinners in the Four Tops, man. Yeah, we, we did about a that. lot of those. Uh, we did a lot of those. Um, Feed Street in Charlotte uh, used to be, when it's, it, it's kicked back up now, um, during the week of the race, they'll have stages out on, uh, you know, downtown streets uh, for bands to play on. And through the years, I mean, we've been really lucky to get the, you know, we've, I've opened, you know, been on stage right before the spinners three or four times, four tops three or four times, uh, Temptations a couple times, uh, Three Dog Night, um, Taylor Dane, uh, Firehouse. We, we managed to open for a lot of those people. And, and it's, uh, it, it amazes me sometimes that your, your music is not like theirs at all, <laughs> but the people that come to see them still accept you because you do a good job and you, you, you hit something for them that they respect. And, um, you can, you, it still goes over really well, even though you're not by any means, we weren't like firehouse Taylor Dane, you know, but we did good job, I believe, uh, opening for them and working before them, you know, were they good people? Exactly. Yeah. They were all those. It's, it's very rare, honestly, that I meet people like that, that I'm not impressed with them. Uh, every once in a while you'll meet somebody and they just don't have the time, you know? And I think that's people that have probably gotten a little jaded with it, or they don't really appreciate what, you know, they don't realize what they've gotten because of that. And, uh, I don't ever want to be unthankful or ungrateful for what music and, you know, all this, uh, career that I've chosen has done for me. It's, um, it's just, such a nice thing and I, I appreciate it. I love meeting people like you like like uh DJs that I've met you know we've we've really come across a lot of people that I would consider lifelong friends now absolutely and uh it's good it's really encouraging encouraging when I hear musicians have that kind of an attitude because so many of them are jaded or they have an ego right. or they just wear wear it on their sleeves and it just turns me off and I don't even want to see or hear that music anymore you know so uh, I hope a lot of the musicians appreciate what the fans do because without the fans, all you got is the music. Yeah, and I think a lot of those people they probably uh, they probably just don't realize the the um, stature that they have by standing up on a stage and what what people may think of you. And that's always been important to me. You know, um, I want to make sure that people know I'm here. If I'm up here performing, I'm here performing for you. You know, uh, I can sit at home and sing, you know, I, I want to do it for you. I want you to enjoy it and uh, invite me back again, you know. So uh, that's just kind of how it's always been, you know. And I think uh, I'm thankful that most of the musicians that I've worked with through the years, we all have a similar appreciation and a similar respect for, for the music and the people that we all approach it that same or similar way, I believe. I hope, I hope that's the case with your present band also, because humility, true humility, and I can smell false humility a mile away. Sure. It goes a long way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell well, us about, like, go ahead. Oh, I was just to say, like I say, you know, if you're good, you don't have to tell people you're good. They'll tell you, you know, and that, I think that goes with anything. It's not just music. It's, you know, if you're a professional basketball player, you don't have to brag about how good you can dunk. They see you do it. You know, they, they know what you do, you know, and um, that's just, I, I think 
like you say, humility, a, a certain amount of humbleness. Uh, I think, you know, of course you have to have confidence, you know, but that's a completely different thing, you know, so. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I hear you, man. And your dad, that your dad did a good job and I fully agree with him. So what was your experience with Archie Bell? Man, that was a whole <laughs> other thing too. We were, when I was with the fabulous cage, we were playing at country club of Virginia in uh, Petersburg, Virginia. And, um, uh, Archie was going to do this job with us. So we knew we had to, you know, learn some songs that he would come do. Well, we were doing, a, um, we were doing a medley of, of, uh, tunes. We were hoping to go in the studio and record and we actually had tightened up in the medley. Um, and, um, uh, I was trying to get the guys to add, uh, I just can't stop dancing. And they were like, nah, man, one Archie Bell songs enough. That's too similar. So, we got there at that uh, job we were doing and Archie came in and we happened to be getting a sound check on that medley. And he heard us doing tighten up and uh, he complimented us on it. And so when we, we were going to do it with him that night, of course, tighten up. And so uh, he said, well, let me ask you, man, uh, you know, I t we told him we were going to go in the studio and record this medley. He said, well, man, y'all ought to let me come in there and sing back up with you. And we were like, no, nah, man, if you come, you're going to sing lead on that. You know, so we did a medley. It was called Sold Out. And it had uh, about, I think it had about eight or nine uh, old R&B soul tunes in it. And um, it started out with like Soul Finger from the Barcade. It had the horse, um, had Tighten Up, I Just Can't Stop Dancing, Boogaloo Down Broadway, uh, Funky Broadway, um, Good so stuff. It was, all, it was all good tunes, man. Really good. Um, you know, um, you don't know like I know, Sam and Dave. Um, you know, and it was a really good medley. And uh, so Archie came in the studio with us and and recorded his part on it, and it was really good. Um, it was a really good medley. It was about eight or nine minutes long. It was pretty long, but we did an edited version also, and it got a good bit of airplay back then. That was around uh, ninety ninety one, I believe. And um, it got a good bit of airplay, and it did real well for us. And um, and Archie was a great guy. Man. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, a lot of people don't know it, but Archie also, he raises, uh, besides being a, a great musician and a really good singer and a talent, um, he told us a story about when he was in uh, Vietnam and um, they were listening to Armed Forces Radio and Tighten Up came on. And he was telling the guys in his in his unit there, that's me, that's that's me singing that. And they're going like, No, it ain't, man. You're an army man. You ain't no music. And they didn't believe him, but it was true. It was Archie, you know. And uh it was really cool, like I say, getting to work with him. Uh we did probably the last year I was with the case, we probably did twenty, twenty five shows with him that I got to do. And and um I always look at those things as opportunity because when you see somebody like that that it's already done what you're trying to do. There's just such an opportunity to learn and to pick up stuff. And uh, Archie was just, he was just a really good guy. Another thing he did was um, he, he raised show pigeons. Uh, he would show them in fairs and stuff. And so, uh, you know, people were going like, man, he plays with birds. They're like, yeah, man, he's got beautiful birds. They win awards all the time, man. He's, yeah. uh, he's, he's, a, he's a character. He's a really good guy. He, uh, I still speak to him every once in a while. I believe he remembers me. Um, sure seems like he does anyway. And, uh, you know, he's just a really good guy. I'm, I'm 
he's another one that I'm thankful that I got to meet and be around and, uh, you know, pick up something from, learn something from. Oh, yeah. I, I really like, like or appreciate people like Arch Bell who, who don't really take themselves seriously, but they right. take their job seriously and they do it well, but not yeah. necessarily themselves, you know? Right. They realize, right. yeah, you know, their job is different from the majority of the people in society, but I'm still a part of the human culture and society. Sure. So people like that, you tend to remember and appreciate. So that's a good story, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, soon thereafter, you uh, left main event and uh, went to North Tower in 1991. Uh, yeah. And joined that band, right? Yes. I, it, it was actually, I left the cave in 1991 yeah. and started with North Tower. Yeah. Let me, and uh, the reason uh, North Tower is uh, important to me is that uh, you know the history because North Tower as a band started as North Tower Quartet on the right. campus, campus of the University of North Carolina, which is my alma mater. And right. so there's a personal connection there. You know, they started North Tower Dormitory, you know, uh, old east of North Tower Park. So that's the reason why I, I kind of have an affinity with North Tower to begin with. Sure. But sure. then... 40 years later, which was, I guess, a couple of years ago, when they celebrated their 40th anniversary, yeah, that's when I uh, did a video, a film of them and their stories. And that's when I saw you coming into the right. picture and way in and out. So, all right. So that's the background. That's the reason why I appreciate North Tower on a personal level. So you joined 1991 and go from there. Yeah, I started with them in 91 and... um Right off the bat, we, we had a, it was basically a, a um, four piece band. Well, it was a five piece band with two horns. Uh, we had trumpet and sax, uh, uh, trombone and sax. And uh, Bob Craig was a sax player. And he heard me singing, you know, background vocals and all. And he was like, man, you really need to sing some falsetto stuff. And up to this point, I had never really sang falsetto. And uh, he pushed me to sing. The first song I sang like that was uh, just my imagination uh, by Temptation. Okay, so how did Bob Craig know that you sang falsetto if you, ha- if you really haven't sang it? Just from, just from singing background parts, he, could, he heard my parts, and uh, he thought I could sing in that range well. So he pushed me to do it, and uh, it was a little scary at first because, like you say, uh, when you're singing falsetto, it's, it's a kind of a vulnerable kind of position in a way, you know, it cracks. Um, <laughs> yeah, it cracks. it's not like, it's not like you're a strong yeah. standing out, you know, full voice kind of thing. So it, you, you have to find a different part of your voice that, that uh, projects and stands out. And so uh, he pushed me to do that and I did, and I was fairly successful at it. And, did more of it and did more of it, did more of it. And I gradually built a fairly good falsetto range. And, um, that's, <laughs> yes, you, that's, yes, you have, um, you know, and, and it comes from being put in that position, you know, otherwise you wouldn't ever try it because it's not normal, you know, to sing falsetto per se, you know, but, uh, you know, it worked out real good for me. And, um, I was, I was able, I, I was with North tower almost 10 years. Um, most of the time that I was with them, we worked mostly corporate jobs, not a lot of uh, public clubs or anything like that. It was a lot of private parties, 
uh, really good paying jobs. We traveled all over the, the United States at that time. We played in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. We played in Ottawa, Ontario, played Florida a good bit, uh, just all over. We went all over playing. A lot of it was through Amway. We did a bunch of Amway conventions. <laughs> they would take us anywhere. You know, um, that's how it was in, in, in uh, Ottawa, Ontario. Those, those uh, Amway jobs, they would book you for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But what they wanted you to play was you played 30 minutes Friday night. You played 30 minutes Saturday afternoon <laughs> and 30 minutes Saturday night. And oh, what a wanted, rough schedule. And they wanted you to come in Sunday morning and do like a, it was kind of a quasi kind of religious uh, church service kind of. So we would we would always do like four or five, uh, I'll fly away. We did operator by uh, <laughs> Uh, Manhattan transfer, you know, we did some, uh, we would get the kids up and do Jesus loves the little children. And you, you pulled know, that, you pulled that Jimmy Swagger. Oh, we do what we could, man. I mean, that's what the job <laughs> called for. You know, that was, that was part of the reason we got the job was because we were willing to do that on Sunday. You know, uh, other bands might not be willing to do that and they would have got passed right over for it. It was a very good paying job to only put in like two and a half hours of of total time on stage over three days and, and you got paid very well for it. So you fly you said I'll fly away. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah we did that. We did uh you know we did gotta, several songs like that. I gotta it ask was, Larry Dean about that. I gotta have I have to yeah. ask Larry to sing that yeah, song. Ask Larry. He'll remember it. He'll remember. Yeah. How about that man? Now you also did flourishes at the time and uh, you you perform as a Beatle. I I got yeah. you on tape as a Beatle. And also yeah. Beach Boys, you did Temptations, yeah. you did Four Tops, and uh, the Oak, uh, Oak Ridge Boys, right? All yeah. those things. Yeah. And uh, the Oak Ridge Boys, we actually called that act the Smoke Ridge Boys. <laughs> uh, because we basically, that was the big comedy part out of the floor show. Uh, you know, the Temptations, the Four Tops, all that stuff we did was uh, reverent and real, you know, um, basically try to do dance steps like the four tops of the temptations would have done. And, um, but when we did the smoke Ridge boys, it was pretty much a comedy part of the act. And, um, it always went over really well for us. And, uh, man, I, I still love it. I, I, every once in a while I'll see videos where somebody will say, Hey man, do you remember doing this? I was like, yeah, man, I loved it. It was funny. You know, it was great. We had a good time. And, and those guys in that band North Tower, that's some of the best guys you will ever meet, musician or otherwise. Oh, oh, oh really absolutely. great guys. They, um, they, they, I, I feel like there was a point there where I could have gone off the deep end a little bit, uh, just with, you know, acting and the way you, you're growing up and all. And they kind of grounded me back to what we were doing. And, uh, I appreciate it. I'm thankful for it. And every one of those guys I worked with, I, I just respect them just tremendously. They're really good guys. Yeah, they are tremendous musicians. Craig is an excellent sax player. Yeah. And obviously Larry Dean, the, you know, the keyboards and vocal, he's got a unique tone. And let's give kudos out to the other ones, guitar player, the lead guitar. And uh, with North Tower? Yeah, with you, yeah, when you were playing. When I was there, it was a guy named uh, uh, Chuck Kennedy. Yeah, Chuck Kennedy is an excellent singer, too. He's a and great Chuck, performer. Chuck and I worked together in main event also. Oh, really? Yeah, we worked together in main event, um, and we worked together uh, in North Tower for 
nearly the whole time I was there, he was there. Um, I, I think there were some good ears there, the 10 years. You had some yeah, seriously yeah, excellent yeah. superior musicians there. And Chuck Kennedy was, I mean, he's such a, a good performer. Yeah. You know, he's he, good. he, after 10, he gave it up and he's teaching down in a Robo, yeah. Robeson, Robeson County. Yeah. 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 He's, um, he's, a, he's, he's, uh, still plays a little bit on the side and all, but he's mainly, he got, got to the teaching part. He wanted to, uh, establish something that he could, count on in retirement and everything. And he did it soon enough that he could put in enough years to make it worthwhile for him. You know, yeah, I would say a really yeah, good I, guy. Yeah. I would say North Towers lost his, uh, Robeson County's public school district's game. Sure. Sure. Cause they have no idea who they got, how much talent that he has. Yeah. Yeah. Now between, I, I guess, fabulous case and North tower, what was the big difference between the two bands? Well, for me, both of, they were pretty high. They were, they were pretty yeah. uh, big time at that point. Yeah, they were both really good bands. Uh, for me, what happened with with uh, the Fabulous Caves, uh, it was more of that same thing where we had uh, eight guys on stage. Um, and most of the guys sang uh, lead. And... It just wasn't as much of an opportunity as I was provided with North Tower. Uh, when the opportunity came up to go with North Tower, they really made me feel like they wanted me. You know, they're like, please come with us. You know, you're going to get to sing a lot. You're going to get to do this. You're going to, and it really was a draw for me to get to do all that. Uh, it was just an opportunity of having more space and being able to do more for the band than I could do with the Fabulous Cage, which I enjoyed all my time with the caves as well, but right. just an opportunity to get to do more. Um, I got to, I got to uh, you know, improve myself at what I was wanting to do uh, to get to do that. So uh, it worked out great. It worked out good for all of us. And, um, you know, like I say, I was with North Tower for almost two months short of 10 years. Yeah. I just, you know, and uh, I, like I say, I'm thankful for all of that. All the people I worked with, they're all, Really good guys, and uh, I, like I say, it's just a, a, a it's all been a positive pretty much. Yeah. What's your best memory of North Tower in the 10 years? Man, there's just so many. I mean, like I say, the overall thing is just how they were just such good guys. Um, it, it's it's um, a lot of people never get to work with people in music that they really like. You know, you're there because you were hired to do a job, and it is a job, but. It's so much easier and so much better when you really appreciate the guys you're working with. Uh, you respect them, and, you know, it's just such a good situation um, along that way. When I was there, if if, if uh, area and stuff didn't matter, I probably would have still been with North Tower as long as they would have had me, you know. But uh, just things change, you know. You move and get further away, and, and uh, so it worked out for me to make a change from them when I did, but I, I, I am thankful for every bit that I did with them and got to do with them. It was all very good. I believe you because Larry Dean, who uh, manages the band also, uh, is the keyboard player and then right. vocalist. He's, it's a, he's about as nice as he gets in terms of temperament. I imagine. Oh yeah. He's a very easy guy to get along with. He's um, very fair, very, very talented. He, Extremely talented keyboard player and singer. He's really good. Yeah. 
I, I really appreciate Larry. Uh, he's one of those yeah. handful of people, kind of like you, that I, I really enjoy as a human being, as well as his multi-talentedness. He's, he's also a great painter. Just, just yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Excellent artist. He's, a, he's amazing. He, he started doing that when I was in the band, and it wasn't long before he had gotten really good at it. Yeah. Um, and he, that's a, uh, another uh, love of his, is painting. His, his art is really good and, man, just really nice. Yeah, I love people like that that are so gifted yet, so solidly uh, grounded to earth. You know, they don't have yeah. any chip on their, no superficial egos, no right. immaturity, some of the people that I run into. But anyway, you know, we'll move on. And we will be right back after this important message. And we're back. So anyway, uh, let's move on to your next uh, gig, which was from 2001 to 2003, Fat Amon's band. Now, are we talking about uh, Amon Park? Yeah, Amon was, um, he was with Bill Deal. Bill Deal, oh yeah. (laughs) And then then around 1978, 79, I believe, he started Fat Amon's band. Uh, A couple of the guys left Bill Deal, him, Don Quisenberry, the bass player. They left and started up Fat Emmons Band. And actually, that was during the time that I was in Threshold. We drove up to Charlotte to see Fat Emmons Band. It was one of their first jobs, and we had heard about them. Uh, they were a new band, and we drove up to Charlotte to see them at the Treehouse. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Brown. He's a really good singer. He's with the Catalinas and uh, stuff through the years. He, he's a DJ down at Myrtle Beach now. But Gary was the doorman at the Treehouse at the time. <laughs> That was the first time I had met him. And, uh, but anyway, we saw um, uh, Fat Ammon's band, and they were just, man, they had the most outrageous floor shows, just the best <laughs> costumes. They, they did uh, Rainbow Connection, you know, the Muppets, and they had a full, full Kermit outfit, full, full Miss Piggy. I mean, <laughs> they had just like you would see them in a parade or at Disney World or something. I mean, you know, it was a full, they did uh, a Star Wars part of the show. They had stormtrooper outfits. I mean, they, it was just, I mean, they were just all out with the costumes and stuff. And of, of course, Ammon is a very distinctive voice. The stuff that he sang with Bill Deal and the Rondells and with, and with Ammon, that Ammon's band. Uh, and his stuff later, he did solo stuff and all of it, you know, it's, it's just, he's another one of those that I'm thankful that I got to work with and spend a little time with because you always learn from people like that. You know, if you don't learn, it's your own fault. Right. Now, you know, Eamon, sometimes I, sometimes I feel like he was, he's not actually singing, but just kind of throwing it out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he had such a, uh, a style. Uh, nobody else has his type of style. Okay. You know, he was uh, unique. His way of singing was definitely unique. And to be honest with you, I, I didn't like it that much at first. But I grew to really appreciate it and really appreciate what he did on vocals and on drums. Because uh, yeah. when he would play with us, he did. He was semi-retired when I started with Fat Ammon's band. He didn't play every job with us. But the job that he played, we would set up two drum sets. 
And uh, we had our regular drummer, uh, Wilton Ferguson, who goes by Animal. He's in a FAB now and a feature attraction band. And um, it was basically a spinoff of Fat Ammon's band, which ended up switching the name to FAB later after Ammon had left. Uh, but Ammon was just, man, he was a great guy. He, he uh, you know, there was a couple long bus trips we took, like to Lexington, Kentucky, and we spent almost the entire time just talking and, you know, just hashing over old past stuff. I mean, it was just such an experience. I'm thankful that I got to do that, too. It's nice to have a tour bus, isn't it? Yeah, that was a whole <laughs> different world for me, man. I, I'm so used Stepping to driving. Up. I usually drive about 45 to 55,000 miles a year. Um, and that year, I was like, man, I don't have any mileage I can ride off. I'm going to have to pay a bunch of taxes now. But, uh, it was so fun not having to drive, you know, oh, just yeah. getting to ride on the bus, having a bunk, you know. and You're well you rested. Yeah, you get off the job and you hang out talking a little bit and you go lay in your bunk and you wake up and you're in your job for the next night. You know, remember, you're, the, you're, yeah. you're, remember the Jeffersons? Oh, yeah. Moving, moving on, on up. up. <laughs> yeah, boy. Through that Upper East Side, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know you arrive when you uh, can uh, climb into the bus and go in your bunk and then take a nap, man. Yeah, it's a, ni- it's a nice perk. Absolutely. It's like if you're on a movie set and you have a trailer. And yeah. You just oh, go yeah. rest during the, you know, during the breaks yeah. and just take a nap, little nap or whatever. It's, it's, uh, anyway, you know, I, I love Bill Dillard and the Rondells uh, and their music. Uh, yeah. My favorite song of theirs, obviously, May I. Yeah, it's one yeah, of my favorite songs. I love their version of uh, "It's Too Late," uh, the Carol King song. They did a real good version of that that I love. I, Most people haven't heard. It wasn't as I, big a hit for them, but it's really good. I like I'm gonna it. say that. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to that. Carol King's uh, which one? It's too late. Okay, I'm gonna look for that. Baby, now it's yeah. too late. Yeah, yeah. Bill Deal did that. Yeah, Ammon, Ammon. Uh, yeah, they did it. Bill Deal, Rockwell okay. did that. Back. Yeah. Okay. To me, that's a real go ahead. They, they did a good version of it. It's completely different than uh, Carol King's version, of course, but they remade it. They didn't just cover it. They remade it. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to that whenever, whenever I get the chance. To me, the reason I like Bill Deal and the Rondells when they were uh, doing it was that Bill Deal was the East Coast version of the West Coast <coughs> Beach Boys, Brian Wilson. Yeah. As Bill yeah. Deal wrote some of those songs that I really enjoy. And yeah, when, and when uh, Bill Deal was alive doing his thing, he put Virginia Beach pretty much on the map during the late 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, the uh, there's still a lot of good bands coming out of that area. And a lot of it comes from a lot of them are children or nephews or you know, stuff of the guys that were in Bill Deal and the Rondells, they, they kind of started the whole thing in that area. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's been uh, really a, a whole industry, you know, uh, that kind of grew up out of what they did there. I mean, I mean that's, that tells you how successful, how good their quality was, because I loved his compositions. But also, yeah. my understanding is that he has such a, a humble uh, personality he, he didn't have any big ego, just a very earth kind of a person, you know? Yeah, and, Bill uh, Dill was a, he was a good guy, man. Uh, I miss him all the time. I, uh, of course, when I, when I started with Fat Ammon's band in 2001, um, we, of course, did some jobs here and there with Bill Dill and the Rondells. Um, 
So you met him. And, and, oh, yeah, yeah. And he passed away um, at the end of 2003, uh, right before, right when I was leaving, right when I left, shortly after I left Bad Ammons, he passed away. So and, tell us uh, something about Bill. Well, Bill just, I mean, it, that people don't know. That, everything that you hear about Bill is pretty much the truth. He was an excellent musician, good songwriter, great arranger. Uh, all the people that worked with him, you, you can always tell how somebody, what they're really like, uh, what the people around them think of them. And everybody, you're not going to hear probably anybody say anything bad about Bill Deal. He was just such a good guy. And uh, he knew the business. He knew the music. He knew, you know, knew all of it. And Bill Deal and the Rondells was such a popular band. I mean, at the time they were out, they did a tour of South America. They they had number one song in Brazil at one point. You know, I mean, they they kind of stretched it out further than than what a lot of us have been able to do. You know, they they literally were international. You know, so uh, I've, I've always respected Bill and and uh, Don Quisenberry, Sam and Tharp, all those guys. They they were really good guys, and uh, they they've done a lot for the for the music industry. Did Bill and Auburn have a contrasting personality? Uh, I don't know so much about that. That was kind of before I was around. Um, like, I don't really know the whole story of, of uh, Ammon and Don leaving and starting Fat Ammon's band. I don't really know what led to all that. Um, but I just, my relationship with all of them was just good. I just appreciate all of it that I had with any of them. And I still talk to Don a good bit. Uh, of course, Bill Deal and Ammon Tharp had passed away, but Don Quisenberry was uh, inducted into the uh, Carolina Beat Music Hall of Fame the year after I was. And um, it's just, a, you know, just another one of those really good guys, man. He's, he's kind of like the MacGyver of beach music. He can do <laughs> anything. We, we had a 1961 tour bus. Transmission went out of out on it, and he fixed it with a radiator hose that was on the bus. But we drove it the rest of the day and drove about 300 miles before that. I'm like, man, we all thought it was going to break down, and he was confident. He knew it was going to make it. You know, it just he's just one of those guys, man. You would have something break down, and uh, Don Quisenberry, you know, you look over there, and he's got the back off the piece of equipment, a soldering gun, and it's fixed. You know, he just he he actually he worked for NASA. Back during the uh, Gemini, I believe it was during Gemini when there were two man capsules. There you go. Yeah, he worked with NASA, so he, he comes by it honest, you know. Matt Evans had some serious uh, intellectual power there. Yeah, yeah, they really did. Yeah. How about that? When you walked away with uh, Fat Evans, what would you walk away with? Man, when I left Fat Evans' band, um, what the thing that was unusual was the last year or two that I was with. Um, North Tower, our trumpet player left. So I switched to trumpet. Uh, some stuff I would play trumpet. We had a sax player, be trumpet and sax. Other stuff would be valve trombone and sax. When I went with Fat Ammon's band, they were looking for a trumpet player. So I came in there as a trumpet player and switched, and I basically played trumpet for three years. I was back on my main instrument, you know, the one I started on. And I really loved that, and I appreciate that they let me do that. And uh, it got me back on trumpet where I really hadn't played it in, you know, for the most part, 20, 25 years. Um, so I'm thankful for that. And uh, I was able to play trumpet with them. And then when I left, it was mainly because 
my wife was from Richmond and we had moved up to that area, but we really did miss the Carolinas and just Carolina beach music. Virginia beach music is a little different in the respect that it's um, usually a little bit faster tempo. Um, it's more disco type beach music as opposed to, you know, rhythm and blues soul kind of beach music, which is more Carolina style. And I kind of miss that, to be honest. Uh, I, I'm thankful for every bit of experience that I got with with uh, Fat Emmons Band. But it was really nice to come back to the Carolinas and get back into the, you know, Carolina beach music, per se. So that's when you sh- uh, changed over to Fantastic Shakers. Yeah, I started with the Shakers. One of the guys, uh, I was kind of looking for a band to get back to the Carolinas with. And... Um, when one of the, I knew several, several of the guys in the Shakers, uh, like I say, a lot of us have worked with the same musicians in different bands through the years. And, uh, matter of fact, one of the guys, Jeff Swafford was a trumpet player in the fantastic Shakers. And he called me up and said, Hey man, if you want a job with us, now might be a good time. Todd, our trumpet player, our, uh, he was uh, playing valve trombone at the time as well. He said, Todd just left and we're going to be looking for somebody. So I talked to uh, Bo Schrant, who was the leader of the band, and Preston Honeycutt, who was the sound tech. Who I've worked in four different bands with Preston. With the <laughs> sound. Jeff Swafford was our trumpet player in main event. Um, so I had worked for about three years with Jeff in main event. Then uh, I worked, he was our trumpet player in North Tower for seven years. So I worked with him about seven years in uh, North Tower. And then now at this point, uh, Fantastic Shakers were looking for somebody. So he and Preston were able to talk to Bo and talk Bo Schrantz into hiring me. So they hired me and I came down. I was able to work with Jeff for a third time. And uh, we we put in probably a little over 20 years together. Wow. The two of us in three different bands. And, That's longer uh, than most marriages, man. Well, we talked about that at one point. You know, if you really look at the amount of time that you spend with somebody through your entire life, I probably spent more minutes with Jeff than anybody because during that whole time in main event, like I said, we were gone three weeks at a time. So I wouldn't see my wife for three weeks, but I'd see Jeff every day. (laughs) You know, we're on stage four hours and, you know, eating lunch together or rehearsing together. I mean, you spend a lot of time in just the traveling, you know, that's, 40, 50,000 miles a year that you're, you know, traveling and riding with the same people. It's a lot of time and a lot of conversations and stuff that you get in during that time. Kind but, of reminds uh, you of a, tra- tra- a, a twilight zone, doesn't it? It, it kind of is sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, Jeff and Preston got Bo to hire me in the Shakers, and I came in with the Shakers and played pretty much all valve trombone with the Shakers. Uh, I was back off a of trumpet because Jeff is an excellent trumpet player. And uh, so I was really happy to get to work with him again. And of course, Preston and uh, all these guys in these bands, we've all known each other for years because like I say, I've known uh, Bo and uh, Earl Dawkins, my boss, man. I've known all these guys since the late seventies, you know, Uh, but I didn't work with them until the 2000s. So, uh, you know, it's just, just how it goes, but um, it's really, really nice. And, uh, I'm thankful that I was able to get hired with the Shakers and Bo was the one that kind of, uh, when I got back down here in the Carolinas, he was the first one that let me sing lead on a song on a recording. 
And um, so that was one of the songs we did was a song that I brought in, uh, Back That Thing Up by Tyrone Davis. A lot of people were asking us to do it. So we started playing it live and he saw the response we were getting live. So he put it on our next CD that came out. And, um, you know, that was just, I don't believe anybody had ever gotten to sing lead with the Shakers. Uh, there, there had been other people that sang lead on recordings, but it was always them and Bo together or, you know, uh, three of the guys singing, you know, lead with Bo or something. And, uh, when he let me do that, I believe that was the first song that they ever let anybody in the Shakers sing lead on the whole song that Bo wasn't even present on lead vocals, you know? So, uh, I, I, that was a nice, you know, kind of feather there in the cap, uh, but it was nice to get to do it. And, um, like I say, it, it was just a, a whole nother experience again, working with a band that had such a big name and a good name on this circuit. And, um, you know, it was just, just like I say, just positive, just all positives. Um, a lot of times, you know, I mean, a lot of people know Bo's not the easiest guy in the world to get along <laughs> with. And, uh, but, you know, I managed to make it once again, almost 10 years. I missed by three months, I believe, of making uh, 10 yes. years in that band. Yeah, it so, says a lot about you. That's for sure. Um, what was it like opening for uh, or working with uh, Three Dog Nights? Well, that was one of those, like I say, uh, Speed Street. A lot of times at those things, you don't really get to spend a lot of time with the other artists because they're in and out too. And, and when they're on such a... Uh, big name level you know they they have security and stuff and and uh they don't really get down and wallow with the crowd like we do a lot of times you know so um you know it, it it's uh one of those things I, I didn't actually get to meet any of them uh we spoke and waved and i stood right by the stage the whole time they played and loved it but um you know it's just that's just how it goes sometimes sometimes you get more of a, a personal in uh experience you know more of an interface with them and then you do other times but um it was all real good like i say we that was another time that we opened with spinners four tops and that band you know it was just um just like i say it's all been so positive i'm just grateful and thankful that i've gotten to work with all these good bands and uh was able to pick up something from it you know i get that uh three dog nights would have security Back in the oh, yeah. late 60s when they were really big, when they hit the national right. with number hit, you know, back to back number one hits. But when you were opening for them in 2000s, they still needed security. Well, you know, it's, it's all um, whether they need it or not, they, they have it. You know, it, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So uh, I think that's kind of a situation with a lot of the big name acts. Um, and Part of part of that sometimes I won't say it was with them, but sometimes you want to keep that uh, separation in a way because it makes them look or feel bigger, <laughs> you know. And like I say, I won't say that was the case with them, but there's been some people we've worked with I wouldn't want to name, but um, you know that's kind of how it was. They when they step <laughs> off the stage, they're still above the crowd. When we step off the stage, we're right in there with them. You know, yeah. we want to be in there with them. That's that's part of what we are and what we do. Yeah. And it's I, just a little different with some of the, the you know, big name uh, artists that are, you know, have a bigger worldwide name and stuff. They may approach it a little different, but I hope I never approach it different than that. That's yeah. I mean, I, yeah. 
I get it when they're big right now. And right. you know, you, you, for security wise, I and mean, people go nuts and I get that, but 10, 20 years later, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. it's not the same anymore. So for you right. to have security back at that point, it's like, um, you know, let's get real here. Yeah. So anyway, uh, good to know. Yeah. Some of them are like that. Some are really nice. And, uh, we played with, uh, at one point with the entertainers, we opened for the family stone. Uh, they didn't have sly anymore, but, um, Jerry Martini, Cindy Geary, they were, they were originals with Sly and the Family Stone, and they were still there. And, man, they were just extremely nice. They, uh, Jerry Martini was just one of the nicest guys you would ever meet. He's a sax player. And um, he, had, he had left Sly and the Family Stone back in the 70s, and he had, had his own band called Rubicon. Well, some of the guys in Rubicon ended up, uh, after that band broke up, they became Night Rangers. So, uh, you know, you kind of have this old interlay of interlacing of, of musicians and bands. But uh, like I say, Ger- Gerald Martini was just a really super nice guy. We opened for, for them at Dorton Arena in uh, Raleigh. And he was just a great guy. Cindy Geary, too. They, they were all just really nice guys, you yeah. know, girl. I mean, no matter how big a band gets, you, you come a full circle, you know. Sure, you start sure. from the bottom, you work your way up, and you may reach a certain point, but you you never really know when you're there because all well, of a sudden it disappears, you know, and then you you come back to where you are. So, well, after there's, your, there's kind of a saying in our business like the people you meet on the way up, oh, are yeah. the same ones you meet on the way down. Exactly, exactly. And, it, and, and there's a lot of truth in that. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I get it when you're. Number one, at the moment, I get it. Right. You know, for a couple right. of years, you know, people are still nuts. But come on, man. You know, afterwards, it's, you know, you just, you're lucky you get a recognition, you know? That's right. Exactly but right. Music is a little different because, number one, it's a smaller circuit. And our fans grew up with you, with the beach fans. Right. And we still support the beach fans, you know? And in terms of the beach music bands it themselves, it's a small fraternity. You know, sure. you start with one, you change members back and forth, that sort of thing. Uh, so I think in, in, in that regard, it's beach music as a music industry is, is probably a little different from other uh, national scenery. But um, I think beach music is somewhat unique because it doesn't matter 10 years ago or 20 years later, you're still playing and we still appreciate what you guys do. And we appreciate that you do. We're happy to get to do it. You know, that's that's the whole thing about it. Um you know, all of this can end at any time for any of us. You know, it might be health. It might be health of somebody close to you or whatever. And, and you can't do it anymore. But yeah. um, until then, I yeah. want to keep doing it the way I am and, and keep making friends. And, you know, uh, just all of that just adds up. And, it, you know, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing yeah. else like other I, than I, being a beach music band. You know, summertime, right? Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, the guy had a heart attack and that's that kind yeah. of ended the debate. And I tell yeah. beach music, man, you know, I told people, take care of your health. Oh, yeah. You know, I tell, yeah. you know, uh, Craig, Willow, take care of your health because, you know, if you're overweight, it's a matter of time. You got to yeah. take care of your health because if you don't take care of your health, you know, you don't know when you're going to punch the clock out. And there's so, nobody that can do it other than you. Yes, yes, you know, yes. You know, the doctor can advise you, but you they call it practicing medicine for a reason. Yes, you know? and you, you got to take care of your health. Uh, right. Jim Stoudemire, because yes, uh, I hear you, I, I love hearing you perform. 
your whether it's falsetto or baritone or bass. You know, I want to keep hearing it for years to come. So you got to take care of yourself. Thank you. I hope to. Okay, good. This is the end of part two. We thank you for listening and invite you to tune in the next time for part three. Meanwhile, join our growing family by subscribing to our podcast.